Hello, church. Wow, this is weird looking at y'all with masks on. Um, our verse this evening and the morning or afternoon or evening, if you're online, is from Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The word of the Lord. Jacob, thank you. Will you pray with me as we ask God to speak to us through his word? Lord, we're having a wonderful opportunity to be reminded how dependent we are on you. Lord, with the pandemic that we're experiencing, the challenges, financial, health, spiritual, mental, physical, and now here in Hawaii uh, on this Saturday expecting a hurricane to affect us on Sunday and Monday, Lord, we are reminded of how much we depend on you, how much we need you, and how our lives, our every breath is determined by you. Lord, we thank you for the life you've given us. We thank you for each breath as we've sung repeatedly, each breath we use to praise your name. We ask as we look into your word that you would specifically teach us and speak to us through your word and by your spirit and minister to our hearts according to our needs at this present time, Lord. Lord, we pray for our friends, our family members, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world many who are joining us right now in prayer. And Lord, we just ask your blessing on them as well. Speak now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few weeks ago, when it felt like it was like the height of the COVID panic, and I hope it was the height, I hope it doesn't get worse, but um, I walked in the church office, we had just newly opened the church office, and going back to the church office was like going on vacation, it was like finally I knew when work started and when it ended. You know, it was like, oh, and people were there and everything. When you work at home, it's like just as soon as you wake up, you're working. As soon as you go to bed, you know, you're still working until then. Anyway, I walk in the office, and our church office manager was there. And she looked at me kind of tired and just said, my brain is tired. <laughs> and those four words, my brain is tired, very succinctly described exactly how I felt as well. My brain was tired. I, I needed a brain vacation. And then I came here on a Saturday night service where we have in-person service, and uh, one of the nurses from our church, I was greeting her, and she said, my brain is exhausted. <laughs> and I go, yes, your brain is tired too. You need a brain vacation. Our brains are tired. I mean, first we're told, don't touch anything. And now we're told, oh, that's okay to touch stuff. And we used to be told, Ah, oh, you don't need to wear a mask. It's like, wear a mask always. And my brain gets tired with that. And, and then it's like, open up. And then don't open up. And maybe you shouldn't have opened up. And it's, trust us. And it's like, I don't think we trust you. And my brain's getting tired trying to keep up. And, and then, of course, there's the mental stress of, how do you do work? How do you do family, school? How do we do church? It's mentally exhausting. And one pastor 
after his church, you know, was no longer meeting in the sanctuary and no longer in person, he said, the church has left the building. And I go, that describes it pretty well because the church is not the building, of course. The church is you. The church is the people, and we've left the building. But I really didn't see that coming. I don't know if you did, but I didn't expect that to happen. I didn't expect you all to leave at the same time. You know, usually you leave a little bit at a time, you know, but everybody left. And shifting and adjusting and changing and changing again has been mentally exhausting for, I think, all of us. And not only has the church left the building, but sometimes I feel like my brain has left the building. Can you relate? You know, it's just like uh, one more thing. And I was thinking, if only God had the solution. If only God would give us a little bit of help here. You know, we depend on him. We need him. Couldn't he help us out and show us how we could get a little vacation for the brain? Well, I was thinking about the fact that when an omniscient God, in other words, a God who knows everything, was directing the Apostle Paul to write Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, as we continue today in our letters from quarantine, that God didn't just have in mind the struggles of the first century Christians that received the letter. They were struggling with their own issues. They were struggling with persecution and hardship and diseases. But our God lives in a constant now. He's not bound by time like we are. And so when God was writing the scripture, he clearly had in mind us. There's no way he could not have us in mind. That would be impossible. He clearly had in mind the pandemic of 2020. Think about it. It would be impossible for him not to have that in his mind. Because he doesn't live in time, and he knows everything. And the danger is we get into this trap of thinking the Bible is an ancient document that just coincidentally has some application to us now and then. And that's wrong. The Bible is not a dead, lifeless document written thousands of years ago. It's alive. And it's like no other document ever written. In fact, God tells us this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The first part of the verse says this about God's word in Hebrews 4, 12. It says, for the word of God is living and active. It's living and active. And in the Greek original, if you read it the way God had it written, the word living is the first thing, the first word in the sentence. And when you do that in Greek, it's for emphasis. They put that for emphasis, living. So a literal translation would be living is the word of God and powerful. The word is isn't actually in the text. There's no verb there. Living the word of God and powerful. And something can be alive and not be powerful. A gnat, a worm, a ladybug, it's alive but not very powerful. And something can be powerful and not alive, like the 2013 Ford Mustang Shelby GT 5.0, largest horsepower motor ever built at the time, 662 horsepower. I mean, you need that under the hood. And that's a lot of power, but it's not alive. Okay, men, come back. Don't think about the car you're never going to own. God's word is alive and powerful. Powerful enough to change your life forever and alive enough to give you life eternal. 
So we come to some principles, and if you're watching online, you can access them online and print them out. If you came in the room, they're, they're available for you in print. When you are reading God's Word, principle number one, expect God to speak to you in order to powerfully change your life. When you're reading God's Word, you should expect it. You should anticipate that God is speaking to you. It's not just a dusty old document. It's a living document. And God had you in mind as he wrote it. It was impossible, is impossible, for God to have written anything in the Scripture and not have you in mind. Impossible. Because he lives beyond time and he knows all things. God's Word is not a history book. It's not an encyclopedia. It's not a religious novel. It's living and active. And so that means as we come to Philippians 4.8, we must assume that God is giving us some specific instructions on how to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic of 2020. It's not just a coincidence. It's just not a helpful application. It was written for us with us in mind. Does that make sense? I mean, when I realized that, I thought, this is so beautiful, and this is God's way for me and for you to have a brain vacation. (laughs) Expect God to speak to you in order to powerfully change your life. So let's expect it and read Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8 says, finally, brethren. And then he gives a list. If you were to rewrite this, you'd have a list, and it would be, First line would be, whatever is true. Next line, whatever is honorable. Next line, whatever is right. Next line, whatever is pure. Next line, whatever is lovely. Next line, whatever is of good repute. Next line, if there is any excellence. Next line, if anything worthy of praise. And then he says, let your mind dwell on these things. And this is a verse that really should be read from the bottom up. Because you need to see what to do with the list at the top. So we should start with the bottom of this verse, and it says, let your mind dwell on these things. And the marginal note in my New American Standard Bible points out that that word dwell could mean ponder. Ponder these things. And I like that. It's such a great word to ponder things. It's not a word that we use a lot today. We don't usually say, hey, what are you pondering? <laughs> you know, we don't usually use it, but it's, it's a cool word. Um, and it's a great word in the Greek, and so I have to share it with you. It's a Greek word, logizomai. And logizomai, like all Greek words, can have variations, and it can mean to ponder, to reckon, to consider, to dwell on, and to reflect on. Logizomai. And God is telling us in no uncertain terms what types of things that you and I should be filling our minds with. Both our active mind and our passive minds should be filled with these things. So let me ask you a question. Where does your mind go when you don't have to be thinking about something else? When you're not involved in work or a project or speaking to someone, your mind can just float. Where does it go? What do you think about? What are your ponderings? What are your daydreams? Well, the Lord gives us a list, and he's not just making a suggestion. The verb form that he uses here is in the imperative mood, which means this is a command. 
He's commanding us to fill our brains, our thoughts, with this list. Which brings us to principle number two. God commands you to take command of your thoughts. God commands you to take command of your thoughts. You'll recall last week when we looked at verse 6, God gave us a list, and that was a list of all the things that he allows you and allows me to worry about. And on that list was nothing. Nothing. It's an empty list. We're not allowed to worry about anything. And now he gives us a list. When you take one thing away, you need to give somebody something back in return. You, all of you who have kids have learned that. So if you take away this worry list, what list do you get? Well, you get this list. This is what you should be filling your brain with instead of worrying. And there are eight things on the list. And you and I should never take lightly what we're filling our minds with because you and I are becoming what we think. We become what we think. And your thoughts about, let's say, the COVID-19 pandemic is shaping who you are. Your thoughts about the politicians and how they're handling it is shaping who you are. Your thoughts about your job, your school, your, your bills, your future, your church are all shaping you and determining what you are becoming. And so God says, if you want to become the right thing and the right person, you need to be filling your mind with the right things. And he gives us a list. And he says, ponder, this is a command, and then he gives us a list. And the first one on the list is those things that are true. True. Now remember, Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. And he unceasingly is speaking lies to you. You're no good. You're a failure. You're not good enough. You'll never be loved. You'll never be forgiven. You'll never overcome that. You'll never da 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 And you hear the lies. And if you start thinking and repeating the lies, you start living them out. We also live lies about future events, the what-ifs. And it may not even be a lie. It just isn't true. And you start thinking, and you're driving your car. That guy's driving kind of radically. I think he's going to cut me off. If that guy cuts me off, you know what? And you build up this whole scenario in your mind, and then the person gets off the freeway, and they never do anything. Or you think about your spouse. You go, you know, my spouse has been late, you know, for this and that. And this is a big event. And if my spouse is late for this, I'm going to be so upset. And in fact, you know what I'm going to do? And then they're there and they're early. And you believe something that isn't even true, but it shaped you. The what ifs. And we tend to dwell on the what ifs. And that can be extremely unhealthy for us. And I'm not advocating ignoring the future or being unprepared for a hurricane or unprepared for a pandemic. But we need to be cautious against spending too much time pondering, actually worrying about things that aren't yet true. They haven't yet happened. As we saw last week from Mark Twain, that famous American writer, he said, I'm an old man and I had many troubles and most of them never even happened. 
The truth is, God has us covered, and we can trust Him and walk with Him. And this says, ponder whatever is honorable. Honorable, that can mean respectable. It can mean noble. Noble gentlemen got that way by having noble thoughts. Respectful women got that way by having respectful thoughts. You're becoming what you think. And then he says, ponder, dwell on whatever is right. People who do the right thing are people who have been thinking about what the right thing to do is. It doesn't just happen. They've been thinking, what's the right thing to do in this situation? And they think about it, they meditate on it, and then they do the right thing. You won't do the right thing unless you've been thinking about what is the right thing to do. And he says on his list, dwell on whatever is pure, pure. Filthy speech comes out of a mouth from a mind that is filthy. Sexually pure people stay that way because their thoughts are sexually pure. Purity. If we dwell on what is pure, then we will act according to our thoughts. And then God commands us, commands you, commands me, to ponder or reflect on whatever is lovely. Lovely. We often use that word sarcastically. Lovely. That's lovely. (laughs) Well, let me tell you what that word is. It's a Greek word, prosphilis. And prosphilis, um, this is the only place in the New Testament this word is used. And it's a compound word. Pros means from. Philis means love. So the etymology of the word is really from love, and it means beautiful thoughts. Lovely thoughts. Thoughts that come from love. Beautiful thoughts about others. Beautiful thoughts about the future. Are your thoughts about the future beautiful? Beautiful thoughts about your life. Thoughts that are generated from love. Lovely thoughts. Often when we say, I've, had a, I've just had a lovely thought, we mean something extraordinary. But lovely thoughts are to be ordinary. We're to be thinking lovely thoughts all the time. Beautiful thoughts. And are you pondering whatever is of good repute? I had no idea what that meant. I've never understood that. And I look up in other verses and the King James says, good report. Well, that helps none. And NIV says admirable. Well, that that helps a little bit, I guess. So once again, we have one of those unique Greek words that is only used here in the New Testament. And when that happens, that means you don't know what it means. You have to go outside the Bible to figure out what it means. And it's this Greek word, ephimos, ephimos. And to understand what it means, you have to go outside the Bible to Greek society. Well, fortunately, I happen to have an 1895 edition of a Greek lexicon that belonged to my maternal grandfather. That's my non-Greek side, but my non-Greek side also knew Greek, apparently. And my maternal grandfather has this 1895 edition of a Greek lexicon dictionary, and it's 
gives me the definitions of words in classical and ancient Greece. And it tells me this word, ephemos, means auspicious. What a great word. But my problem is I don't really know what auspicious means. You know, oh, that's so auspicious. So I looked up auspicious both in the Greek as I followed that word and in the English. And auspicious means a good omen. It means something that bodes well for the future. So this Greek word, ephemos, in our text, has a religious connotation, and the readers would have understood this, that he's saying, you need to speak good omens. Not ill omens. In other words, we would say this way, you need to speak words of blessing on people, not words of cursing on people. And if you think about it, we do this all the time. And you're going to go, well, don't include me in this. Okay, I don't include you. Everybody else but you does this. <laughs> think about it. He's so mean, I hope he gets COVID and he dies. You know? That's ill omen. That's a curse. Or she thinks she's so beautiful, I hope all her teeth fall out. That'll show her. You know, that's a bad omen. I can't believe he got promoted over me. Man, I hope he messes up and gets fired, and then they hire me for the position, and then they'll see. That's a bad omen. God expects us not to even think that way about other people, about events, about the future. We are to be thinking auspicious thoughts of future blessing toward others. My fiancé dumped me for another man or woman, depending on your situation. I hope they find the perfect person that satisfies them and they have a beautiful marriage. That's a good omen. That's auspicious thoughts. I hope the boss recognizes her abilities and she gets the raise and promotion she deserves. Auspicious thoughts. I hope they have a wonderful vacation at my favorite vacation spot that I can't go to because I have to work. (laughs) And depending on how you say that and how you feel it, it's either an ill omen or it's a good omen. And God commands us to have words and thoughts that speak well of the future for ourselves and for others Words of blessing. And those words of blessing aren't going to come out of your mouth until they first have been in your mind. I think that's what this obscure phrase, good repute, means. Speak well of the future for others and for you. And the verse goes on to say, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, ponder, let your mind dwell on these things. The Greek word for excellence is also the name of a pagan goddess, which most of you didn't pick up. (laughs) But Paul's Greek readers would have seen it instantly. It's the Greek word arati. And arati means virtue, but it was also the name of the Greek goddess of virtue. She was the embodiment of moral excellence and virtue. And 
Paul's readers would have heard this, and they would have heard that God is telling them that you should be like a god or goddess of moral virtue in your thoughts and your life. People should look up to you, and when they think of moral excellence and virtue, they think of you because of the way you think and act. Which brings us to a third principle here, and this is how to have good mental health. Good mental health results from good mental thoughts. Good mental health results from good mental thoughts. You have to think well if you want to be well. Give your brain a much-needed vacation that it deserves. Improve your mental health by improving your mental thoughts. And God is offering all of us a mental vacation by following these guidelines. I close with a true life example of someone who had good mental health as a result of having good mental thoughts. Ludwig von Beethoven was born in 1790. He was a German composer and pianist. He was a child prodigy and his first public performance he did at age seven. But his dad billed him as age six, so it would be more spectacular. <laughs> he is widely viewed as the greatest composer who has ever lived. He died at age 56. And in his later years, before he died, Beethoven would spend hours playing a broken harpsichord. Playing it for hours and the instrument was in such disrepair that it was actually worthless. It was missing keys. It had broken strings, terribly out of tune, obviously. It was harsh to the ears of anyone who would hear him play. And nonetheless, Beethoven would play for hours upon hours with tears of joy flowing down his face as if he was hearing the musical sublime. As if he was hearing the most beautiful music imaginable. And he was. Because Beethoven was deaf at the end of his life. And he was hearing the notes that the harpsichord should be playing. And what he heard was beautiful in his mind. Good mental health results from good mental thoughts. And Beethoven's mind made even the broken and out-of-tune world something beautiful to him. Give your brain, your brain a vacation and do some pondering on the list that God has given us. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we ask that you would fill our hearts and our minds with the things you want us to reflect on so we might live lives according to your will and your plan. As we're praying, if you're listening online and you've discovered that you don't know Jesus Christ and you want your sins forgiven, you want to know that you have eternal life, you want to know when you pass this life that you will be with the Lord in his kingdom forever. If you believe that he died for your sins and he rose from the grave, right now, just call out to him wherever you are, before the screen, on the 
knees, in your living room, wherever you are, say, Lord Jesus, save me. I believe you died for me and rose from the grave. And if you say that prayer in faith, he will. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness to us. Watch over us and bless us, we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Be safe, be well, and be blessed.